quickly. I do things very linear, you know, A through Z, like how do I feel better in my environment? If it doesn't feel right, or if there's a connection with someone that doesn't feel right, I immediately communicate because I don't like feeling like I don't have good things going on in my life. And so I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly reevaluating and constantly trying new things just to live because I was so stuck for so many years, you know, when I was drinking. Welcome to the Alcon Edition podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. Uh, very tough times at the moment, folks, isn't it? You know, we're all uh, on lockdown, or most of us are on lockdown, unless we uh, are building igloos in Antarctica. And here's the way I'm looking at this thing, right? So I'm looking at this thing, and obviously I understand that I'm, at the moment, I'm in a very fortunate position. I am a laptop worker. I am somebody who you know, work from home. So I understand that I'm in a completely different position. And should I lose all my income, uh, which is, you know, is likely in the next next year, it will obviously be very, very difficult for me. However, I'm looking at this as a new opportunity in a variety of different ways. I think that the fact that I'm stuck in the house with my wife and my daughter and my in-laws means that I can grow more intimate and connected relationship with those four people. Let's be honest, right? And you don't realize this until you're in a lockdown. You generally don't communicate very effectively with the people around you. Mainly the person that I communicate with the most is my three-year-old daughter because she demands so much of my attention. But in the main, the rest of us, we stay out of each other's way. We like, we're, we're off, we're off doing our own thing, but now we're kind of stuck together. And I think it's quite beautiful that we get that opportunity uh, to grow our connections. And it hasn't been easy. It's been challenging because we are in and crossing over each other's boundaries. We're in each other's spaces. So we're going to have to be better at handling conflict and understanding the personalities of the people in our household and communicating with them effectively. And I've had to do that. I've had to do some work. I've had to check in with my uh, color code personality assessment and to understand uh, the personality type of my wife. If anyone has done that, you know, or um, has been into that work, you know, my color is a red, uh, my wife's a white. So like how a red personality type interacts with a white personality type and learning that is like really important. So, you know, at the beginning of COVID-19, we were arguing a lot. I then had a really great hypnotherapy session. I've been working with Vinny, our Strive coach. I've been reading about relationships. I've been checking out my color code personality. And I've got to say, at the moment, I feel on top of the world. I'm feeling more capable of interacting with people and listening to people and holding presence for people and being there for people and uh, navigating conflict and not even getting into conflict. I feel so tip-top at the moment. And it cannot be a coincidence that I've been stuck in the house with these people. It cannot be a coincidence. I've been forced to have to put relationships as a top priority, and it's really, really helped me. I've also been, you know, really feeling um, good financially from a standpoint of the because I'm stuck in a house, I, I can't spend as much money as I used to. And that has made me realize that spending more money than I earn and living that kind of like, oh, we'll just do whatever we want to lifestyle and telling ourselves and creating a story that that's that's a good thing. You know, it's like, uh, don't worry about it. Just go and get what you want today because, you know, you only live once time mentality. And that mentality that you actually hear uh, with people when it comes to drinking alcohol, for example, it's unbelievable how much toxic energy is surrounded by that. And you don't realize how much toxic energy is surrounding your financial thoughts until you're stuck in a house and you're not spending any money. Like I'm hitting my budgetary targets every week because I don't eat out. I don't buy stuff. And it, there's a feeling of uh, equanimity. There's a feeling of tranquility. There's a feeling of calmness around that. You know, like I said, all that might change if uh, I get the phone call saying that my freelance work has gone out the window. But right now, if that happened, I feel in the best shape of my life to deal with it. Uh, and also, and lastly, I, I've really been able to focus on what I'm eating. I've really been able to focus on meditation, on movement, 
And to really, especially for a vegan, I've been using this app called Chronometer and it has been amazing. My friend Onze, every time I talk to him about Chronometer, he's always reminding me, it's just an app, Lee. It doesn't really understand your body, but wow, it really helps me. It's helped me get the right level of protein in my body and I've been feeling fantastic. I've been realizing I've not been getting enough sleep and now I've, I've fixed that. So everything at the moment as a result of this COVID-19 is in a way it's allowed me to reset. It, it reminds me of when I got divorced. I got divorced and straight away there was this anguish, this grief, this uh, pain, this suffering. But out of that also emerged opportunity, um, a reset, the ability to not just think blue sky, but introduce it into your life. And I, and I think about that now. And I know a lot of you out there are really struggling. It's really difficult. Your life is very different than mine. But I don't think this is a Lee Davy thing. I think this is a choice. I think it's a choice of experiencing what we're experiencing in anguish and um, letting, letting the television set and all the screaming and uh, all the content that's coming about COVID uh, drag us down into a, into a mire. Or we can look around the internet for inspirational figures who are really, really thriving through this right now. I'm thriving through this right now and tagging onto their message and listening to what they've got to say. Just wanted to share that with you today. Uh, what are we doing? What is 1000 Days Sober doing during this uh, testing time? Well, we're doing quite a lot. We could do more and we are going to be doing more, but we're doing quite a lot. So first and foremost, every Monday and Wednesday at one o'clock, Pacific time, we are holding a COVID-19 escape room. So it's a support group for anybody who has issues with uh, alcohol or don't even need to have issues with alcohol. You just want to talk about COVID-19. You want to talk about how it's affecting your life. You want to talk about what you're struggling with or like me, what you're really doing good at and then share that. So we've been doing that for two weeks now. The, the um, turnout's been really great. Uh, it doesn't cost a bean. So go over to www.1000daysober.com. Sign up to my email list. You'll find that on the website. And then I will email you and let you know when we're having those sessions and how to join. Okay. So that's the COVID-9 escape room every Monday and Wednesday, one o'clock. Uh, we're also starting to open up, you know, like a 1000 Days Sober and Strive, we have our own internal online meetings. We're starting to um, open those up to the public, uh, but at a price. We don't know what the prices are going to be yet, but we're going to put that out there to so keep an eye on that. Again, the email, this is a place where you'll hear that, although I will advertise them here. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing one. We're going to be doing a communication workshop on how to turn your enemies in your household into allies. So this is because a lot of people are drinking right now more than they're used to at home. So if you don't drink and your partner is drinking more, that is a real going to clash with your values, right? So we're going to help you to turn that person into an ally. So we're going to be doing that workshop. That's going to be free for Strive subscribers uh, one year. Uh, one year. Uh, I think I'm Andy Ramage for a moment then. Uh, 1,000 days sober. So uh, people who pay the £40 a month are not going to have to pay for that. But for everybody else, we'll put that out there for you. And uh, you'll be able to join that workshop for a small fee. Um, so we'll be doing that. And we are going to be running the next edition of 1000 Days Sober Experience on April 26. Uh, and that the first month of that is going to be free. So if you email me at truthaboutalcohol at gmail.com and um, I will give you access to Strive, the Strive community um, for free. I'll give you that access immediately and you can start to do the 1000 Days Sober Experience uh, training course on April 26. And you won't have to pay anything until May 26. If come May 26, you want to continue with the work, then it'll be £40 a month. If you can't afford £40 a month because of what's going on at the moment with the pandemic, then we'll have a conversation and we'll find a way forward for you. So we won't let money be an issue. So right now, you haven't got long to go. Uh, send me an email at trooperalcohol at gmail.com if you want a world-class experience, a world-class support system to help you to become someone who doesn't drink alcohol. If you want to do that, okay, and you want to get hold of all that material for free for a month, email me at thetruthaboutalcohol.gmail.com and we'll get you set up, okay? Right, that's enough about me. Oh, sorry. No, it ain't. A few more things. Get over to YouTube, 1000 Days Sober YouTube. I've started to put up some 
five to 10 minute videos. Some of them have been 15, but I'm trying to keep them to five to 10 minutes if I can. Small little videos on um, questions that have been posed throughout the Strive community. And us as Strivers, as a community, we're putting those videos out to you. So check that out, 1000 Days Sober at YouTube. And also check out our Instagram page. We're putting some really good content out there at the moment. It's 1000 Days Sober Instagram. And if you do like the work we're doing at the Alcondition Podcast, then please rate and review us. Always helps. Always helps. All right. Okay. So without further ado, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to introduce you to our next guest. Our next guest is Michelle Gasper. She lives in uh, Washington. She's out there. She uh, owns her own salon, uh, but she's uh, uh, really educating herself to be a horticulturist or a gardener or whatever you call it. And um, I really love the way that Michelle's uh, ended up being a green finger specialist, right? So the first time I met Michelle was uh, a number of years ago. She joined when we were called Needy Helper and she was really struggling. She was on antidepressants. She was uh, drinking all the time and she was an emotional wreck and, and couldn't really get through life without using alcohol to cope. And this was long before we had the intensive or the 1000 Days Sober experience. And I actually worked with Michelle uh, one-on-one. And, um, you know, I remember at the time she had a love for craft beer and she was a sailor. She was uh, on a boat with a load of other sailors and drinking alcohol was like a huge thing on his sailing boat. And I was trying to get her to, you know, stop drinking on that boat, to be the only person not drinking on the party boat. At the same time, she was like coming off her antidepressants and the medication stuff. And it was a real challenge for the both of us. But I'm really glad and proud that she got through that. And from those early days, she went on a run that eventually led to her going 1,000 days sober. And it was actually Michelle's reminder to me that she had reached 1,000 days sober and, and reaching out to me to say thank you for my part in that, that inspired the brand change and inspired me to go from Truth About Alcohol to 1,000 days sober. Because I said to myself, this is how I want to affect people's lives. This is how I want to change people. I want this to be my legacy. I don't want to help people to be one month free of booze or six months or a year. You know, I want people to be 1000 days sober and beyond. I want to work with people like Michelle, with other people like I did with Michelle to get to 1000 days sober. And she's just gone from strength to strength. She is such a powerful, beautiful uh, young woman. And you're going to see that. You're going to hear that. So without fear ado, I'm going to shut up and leave you in the capable hands of our 1K Club member, Michelle Gasper. Thanks for listening. How's life, Michelle? Great. Do you remember a long, long time ago, actually over about a thousand days ago, a little bit over a thousand days ago, where me and you would talk on Skype and before you came on Skype, you were on like medication and stuff and you'd freak the fuck out and you'd get really really kind of stressed and want to drink because like it's funny like it's quite like ironic that you know it would lead you to want to drink like talking to someone who's helping you drink and then you'd get on and within like 10 seconds you were like oh what was all that about then (laughs) do you remember i do very clearly it was awful and and it's so nice that i don't really go through that anymore I mean, it, it, it's an important point, though, isn't it? Because, you know, we talk about this a lot on Strive. Well, I do. The, di- the difference between the perception of fear, you know, yeah. and, and actual, actual reality, you know. So I feel like this is going to be so bad. But then it's reality. A good example is, oh, my God, I, I need to drink alcohol. Like, I can't deal with these voices in my head. Like, the perception that someone can't deal with the voices in the head versus reality of dealing with those voices in your head i mean touch yeah. upon that a little bit i mean how what is it like when you look back and you think wow i i used to think that i couldn't handle those situations but obviously i can just talk about that a little bit so i think you kind of start to get um so caught up in the cycle that you forget that you actually can do things and and the the fear and the anxiety are so strong and your the mind body connection and and your body actually having you know i would break out into hives i would start sweating i would just all of these trigger things that would happen just based on my thought process and you know back then when i think 
of um, all the strong medication I was on for depression and anxiety. And then thinking that it was helping and it wasn't. And now not being on anything in over, well, almost three years. Now my anxiety is so much less. Um, but, but I've also done all the work to change that thought process too, you know? So um, it definitely took a lot of undoing and months of work. And, and now I really, I get anxious. Sometimes I break out into hives like I just did when I took a final, but, but that's totally different than things that I used to go through in the early months of trying to quit drinking, you know? So yeah, I think, I think it's not, it's, it's, it's remembering. <clears throat> I think what, what tends to happen is we'll go into ourselves and we will start to think that we're different to everybody else rather than acknowledging the, the rational logic that everybody at some point is going to get nervous or stressed or anxious about something and that it is normal. And then, so then when we break out in highs or whatever, we can say to ourselves, Oh, I'm quite nervous right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and there's a logical, and there's a logical reason behind it. For, just for the, the, the listeners, when you started working with me, um, you know, what's like three, three years ago now, yeah. how long had you been on medication for up to the time that we started working together? On and off my whole adult life, I was on several different types of depression medications. I, I never went to like the, I think they're called benzodiazepines where like you with, with Xanax and things. I never went that far. So I, but I was on really strong. My last one was so strong. It took me six months with my naturopath to get off. Um, and we were, we were, changing different types of supplements just to get off of that. But that particular one was five years. So it was very hard to get it out of my system, but, but most of my adult life. So most of your adult life, you're taking this medication to help relieve your stress and anxiety. And I have no doubt that these things really do help people. I'm sure, you know, at at, at some point in your life, they really helped you. But by the time you got to me, they weren't helping you. You you was addicted to them and couldn't stop taking them, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, right before I stopped, I was at a yoga convention about three and a half hours away from home and I forgot my pills. And that gave me anxiety just even thinking that. My kids had to drive them to me because I knew immediately by the end of the day, I would start going through massive withdrawal. And it's the worst withdrawal I can ever explain. I mean, I was so incredibly sick and I've done it also on a boat and I had to, we had to pull off and my family had to come get me because I forgot my pills. I mean, it's, you would think I wouldn't forget them because of what would happen, but it just happens, you know? So getting off of alcohol and those at the same time was awful, but I knew needed to happen. They both needed to happen at the same time in order for me to progress the way that I wanted to. And so that particular one, it was very hard to get off. How did you do it then? Because I, I do remember in the early days of our conversations that, you know, obviously I'm not a trained professional, so I can't, I can't give people advice on whether or not they, they should stop taking this. But it was obvious to me that they were causing you a lot of harm and stress. They were doing the opposite of what they should, should do. But you took it upon yourself to stop taking them. How did you kind of uh, wean yourself off them? So with most antidepressants, they have a a way of getting off. You know, you wean off, you can cut the pill. This particular pill, Pristique, you could not cut. Um, There was no, there was only one other dose that you could cut in half, which I did. But I still cut that pill even though I wasn't supposed to, in half to make fours, Mm. that didn't work. And I tried that with my um, regular doctor for a long time, and I would just get so incredibly sick. And I'd get these dizzy spells, and like I couldn't walk. It was awful. So what my naturopath did was put me on a, a stress supplement, a depression supplement, an anxiety supplement, and then um, B12 injections, and we just slowly weaned off in it, and we took six months to do it, and mm. we were able to do it um, without me going through sickness. Um, but, you know, a regular doctor doesn't 
talk to you about supplements. So that did not, there was no other option. And I had tried for two years to get off that pill. Um, so, you know, working with her is, is what in the end worked for me. And then not drinking because drinking, all of them say, don't drink um, alcohol while on this medication. We still do. And that creates even more massive body issues um, as far as um, hangovers and, and the things that were happening while I was drinking on that medication were much worse. Mm. Um, but getting off that medication, not drinking, I think is what made it, it finally happen because <clears throat> drinking just would make it worse. And I know this is, I know this is a difficult and personal question. You don't have to answer it, obviously, but you know, what, why was you on the medication in the beginning? For anxiety. For, that, so it related, kind of related, was it related to anything in particular? Um, yes, my I'm in a blended family, and we have five kids all ranging right now. The ages are 16 to 25, but at the time, the kids were 11 to 19, I think, and the youngest kids, my husband's kids, were. It was really hard being a step parent. And that role is what got me drinking more. And that role is what got me on really strong medication because I was having so many issues with our youngest as my husband was having a lot of issues with my youngest. And so it's hard. Blended families are probably the hardest thing I've done in my life. Um, And we've made it, we've made it this far. It's been 13 years. So um, it's good now. It's interesting because actually on Strive, there are a lot of blended families. So I, I wonder if somebody run the numbers in the world, how much of a contributory factor being in this situation actually leads to people developing problems with alcohol? Because I'm in a ble- I have a blended family as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So I can, I can tell you as well how difficult and challenging it is for me and Liza uh, with just two like if you if you multiply that with different personalities and that that's going to be an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Well, and exes too. So exes still Ooh, play yeah. a part, you know. And that's the hard part is um, when you have really great active exes, they have opinions, you know. And so trying to mold all of our ideas together and try and see eye to eye is really hard. Or if you have really bad active exes, they yeah. also have a lot of opinions, Michelle, yes. as I well know. But again, I mean, even the people who are acting really terribly, I mean, they're doing it because they're hurt and they're doing it because they don't have any other skills in how to deal with it. So they just, you know, they're lashing out, aren't they, type of thing. You yeah, know? So. definitely. Uh, okay, so... So you came, you came to us. I remember at a time when you, when you came to us, we, we weren't in the kind of structure that we are at the moment. We were on a completely different platform. There was only a few of us, wasn't there, having a conversation. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. Art? Yes. Yeah, the, the guy in his 70s from Northern Ireland. He used to eat Ezekiel bread. Every time I eat my Ezekiel bread, because I love it, like I always, <laughs> yeah. I always think of art. Um, I remember him as a, a raving vegetarian or vegan. Was vegan. he vegan? Yeah, he was a vegan. Yeah, and he was very passionate about that. And I was like, Art, can you just be passionate about not drinking? Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 couldn't he couldn't stop drinking, but he, he would never eat meat. Yeah, like yeah, and he used to say, Well, I can't I, I and it was because let me talk about this, you know, it's just something that we're talking about on the forum at the moment. Um, it's because he wasn't ready. Yeah. So so, so people come to strive and they say, um, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm really, I'm ready. I'm ready. And then they'll drink. And, and then for me, the litmus test is if you drink, then you're not ready that you need to take a step back and say, what part of my preparation was not right here. And very often it's linked to the vow, in my opinion. Um, what, how do you discern when somebody is ready in your experience? From my experience, it took me two years to be ready. And I tried a lot. I did all the forums, I, I just wasn't ready to make the full commitment. I, I wanted to be, but for me, I, once I made the choice, I was done. But I had to get the tools in order to do that. I, don't, I think for everyone, it's going to be so different. It, I think it depends on their personality traits and, and the things that they find important and 
I think it's a certain type of person and some maybe will take longer than others. Um, and then some don't get it at all. I just know for me, it took me two years of trying. I, I wanted to stop. So I think I have a really strong personality and I, and I had to cut through that first and get past my bullshit. And I was able to, but I also needed a hammer, which is where you came in. <laughs> my hammer. Yeah, it's per- it was perfect for me. I, that's, that's what I needed. So I think everybody just has to find their way, but um, I, don't, I don't really know. Let's talk, let's talk about that hammer a little bit because um, Liza, my wife, has just come on, on board on Strive as a, a health coach. And so it, although I've been doing this like for like 10 years now on and off, Liza's never been on Strive. Like she's never been, she knows about it because I talk about it all the time, but she's never been on it. And mm-hmm. then she went in and she said, oh, it's, it's, I noticed it's like a masculine energy. There's a masculine energy here. You know, and I remember you, I remember, and someone said to me the other day, you know, maybe we need to get more kind of like uh, spirituality or, or something. And I talked about that with Liza and Liza was saying, well, no, there's a lot of spiritual people on there as well, you know, but yeah. so there is a masculine energy around Stride, probably driven by myself. And then people are attracted to that and, and come there. Um, yeah. It's not going to be for everybody. Um, why, why was it important for you to I know you didn't just go with a hammer. You had to balance it, right? So talk about why that hammer was important to you and how you balanced that out. So for me, um, I'm a very strong personality. And if I'm around too much softness, I just tend to kind of, oh, this is, this is the, I need, I need stronger person. I need people to hold me accountable. I need someone to say, no, you have it wrong. You need to step up. I need rules. I need structure. But at the same time, I also needed another outlet, which is where yoga came in, the spiritual side came in, and I needed to balance both those sides. But I had been working on the feminine masculine. I I really believe most of my, you know, I own businesses. I'm a mother. I run families, you know, like, so I have a very strong masculine side to me. I have more male friends than I do female friends. I'm just that kind of, I'm kind of a tomboy. Um, I mean, I race sailboats with all men. I mean, it's just kind of my, the way I go, but I, but I'm getting in touch with the feminine and that's the part where I really needed the balance and, and when I went and searched for um, meditation, breath work, yoga, and I got both. So I got one side from you and then I healed my soft side with um, the other things. And so for me, that's what I needed. But not everybody's that way. And on Strive right now, I think with the color-coded test, mm. I think matching the personalities up, I, I think that's so brilliant because there isn't a one personality for everyone. There isn't a one thing for everyone, I believe. And so I think that really helps balance strife. I mean, I think it's become much softer um, compared to, you know, what it used to be. So but that's just my perception. Yeah. For people listening, we do color code personality testing. So everybody goes, if they choose to, can do a personality test and then it gives them a color. So for example, red, me and Michelle are both reds. Um, red is a, uh, like more power orientated, like, Mm -hmm. so we just want to get to A to B as quickly as we can. And we, we don't really have much time for people who have fanny around, I guess, uh, which is funny because that's exactly my wife, right? (laughs) Um, Then you have a a white who is my wife, who is more of a pacifist, more kind of like, kind of, but funny enough, reds and whites go really well together. Um, The blues are more empathic. And then you've got the yellows who are more fun and easygoing. And you say to them, right, come on, we're going to do this 1,000 days solo program. I need you to turn up. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to go parachute. And you don't tell me. You need structure as a red. They, they don't want structure as yellows. And, and I guess what it helps us do is when we're interacting on Stripe, you can look and see what the color is if they've done the test. And you can be like, oh, I can be a bit harder with this person. Or, oh, I can be a little bit, uh, I need to be more empathic with this person, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Although in my case, sometimes I go a little bit overboard red on red, I think. Well, me too. I mean, I question it all the time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it is an interesting point then. So, you know, you, you realized in your kind of like journey that you needed to balance the masculine and the feminine energy. Um, and, and you were getting the masculine energy f- through Strive, although it wasn't called Strive at the time. Um, 
and then you went seeking out more of the kind of feminine side. Do people on the feminine side need to seek out the masculine side or do you think you can make it? It's everybody completely different and some people can just immerse themselves in the feminine side of it and they're okay. People can immerse themselves in the masculine side of it, they're okay. What, what is your feeling around this balance? I really think to be well-balanced, we should be able to do both, uh, a type of polarity. You know, I think um, really soft people should dig deep and try and get angry more often and make decisions in their life and get out and not hide. And, and then people that are more masculine, you know, if like for me, I was constantly being told I'm scary. I'm unapproachable. I'm all, you know, I, but I, I considered myself a truth teller. I, I wouldn't bullshit you. There would be no gray area it would be either one way or the other. And so I had to soften that as a business owner and as a parent, because my parenting was so, I mean, my kids all joke now, about how hard I was. Um, but now they call me a big softy, especially when it comes to my granddaughter. But I think people really should try and balance both in their life to have balance in life. Really. I think, um, what you're talking about there, when you said, um, people look at you as a bit of a hard ass and then you have to learn how to be softer, just to clarify that for people listening, what you're talking about there is developing the skills to communicate differently, right? Totally. Whether that's verbally or whether that's like you as a person yeah. and, and, and surely strive and other forums like that help that because you, you go to write something and then you have to stop and you have to think. And then after you've written it and you post it, then you start thinking, Oh, did I do that right? Or whatever. And then you seek, but then you'll reach out to me and you'll seek feedback. And then I'll look at it and I'll be going, no, no, what you did is okay. So if people are listening to this, and then I'll pass it over to Michelle in a minute, very often when people say, when we say, oh, you know, I behave in this way because I'm a truth teller or something, what we're really saying is, well, the skills that I have lean towards this type of behavior, but it's not helping me in all cases. Right. Like, for example, if we were just a hard ass all the time in our relationships, our relationships would end, right? Yes. So we need to say, I need to develop more skills in these other areas, right? So how did you develop those skills and how are you developing those skills? Well, having five kids with five very different personalities and coming from a mother wound, um, I really was an angry young adult. And um, having a lot of child trauma. So a lot of, I was very reactive. I didn't have a lot of empathy. And my opinion was really, really important. So, and, but I've been a hairdresser for 25 years. So I've had to learn to adapt to different types of people that sit in my chair. I've had a staff of nine where I've had to adapt to each different type of hairstylist. And so over time of being a mom, and a wife and a business owner, um, plus digging deep in breath work and years of therapy. I wholeheartedly believe in therapy. All of those things helped break that down so that I could understand it better and not feel like I was constantly having to defend myself um, and that I could be vulnerable and not be weak. I, I think that was the biggest part because I viewed my mother as a very weak person because she couldn't get her life together. And there was a lot of wounds there. And so I had to really break those apart. And, and even just to be a mother to girls, I had to, I had to start that early on because I could feel the, that mother wound coming through and me separating and putting distance between my daughters. And so um, I was kind of forced because I, I didn't want to be that parent. I don't want to be looked at as someone that you can't talk to. And my personal opinions about myself are really important. Um, and so I've, I've been working on that through many different sources, books, yoga, meditation, quitting alcohol, you know, because all of those things play a part into your personality. It's um, going to be really, really difficult for you to to accelerate that growth like we're only on earth for a finite amount of time and yeah. if you if you set a goal that you want to be you want to be a better mother and a better business owner and a better and a better wife and a better uh, human being uh, for the world in general if you're drinking alcohol your your ability to get there is going to be severely hampered 
And if you stop drinking alcohol, it's like putting your foot on the accelerator. You'll have more time, more confidence and courage and bravery to be able to hit those. those yeah, factors. these last three years have been more growth than I I can even explain. I'm just even the the, the self thoughts and the things that, are, that I think about in life because before I was so caught in that guilt shame cycle and that kept me down. It literally kept me down. I would, I would drink, I'd wake up the next day. I'd feel awful. I would think all these horrible things. I'm awful person and you can't get out of that. And so you don't have room for growth. You, you might grab bits and pieces, but until you clear that out of your life, it's, you're really stuck. You're just stuck. One thing I always remember about you was um, you never, you never looked at, strive and all its previous iterations you never looked at them as a cost you always looked at them as an investment i always remember like it, it, when you say that therapy is really important you know like i have a four-year-old daughter i don't know what's happened all parents in the world you'll know this and all other parents will recognize what i'm just about to say and the, the the non-parents won't but i rem- something's happened literally in the last two weeks where she's gone from my little girl to like uh, this thing that is like running havoc that has got its own personality that says no all the time doesn't do anything that i ask her to do right now i can if i'm drinking i'm gonna fucking deal with that terribly right if I, now i'm not drinking i'm still not dealing with it very well but you know you know like in the last week when this change happened i got straight on the phone to Vinny, one of our stride coaches and i said Vinny, i need to book a session with you he said why I said, I'm really angry all the time. and I don't know why I'm getting angry and I need to work on it, right? Now, that is therapy. That's what therapy is for, right? It's like continually improving yourself. And, and what I like about what you do is you don't wait for this, these things to happen. It's just part and parcel of your life, right? Yes, it very much is. Now, yeah, and I, I process things very quickly. I do things very linear, you know, A through Z, like how do I feel better? And my environment, if it doesn't feel right, or if there's a connection with someone that doesn't feel right, I immediately communicate because I don't like feeling like I don't have good things going on in my life. And so I'm constantly moving. I'm constantly reevaluating and constantly trying new things just to live because I was so stuck for so many years, you know, when I was drinking. You're talking about um, have developing the ability through not drinking of recognizing when you're in a toxic environment or you're around toxic people. Yes. All yeah. right. Let, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit then, because you you said something really something that, that just grasped me was when I became someone that doesn't drink alcohol, that came with a lot of power. So. I thought to myself, fuck, like I'm the only person in the universe that I know that has stopped drinking other than my granddad, right? Mm-hmm. So like that was like really powerful. And then something subconsciously must have said to my must have said to me, like, do you know, like in a video game where you level up? Yeah. Right? Like the old Dungeons and Dragons, like you'd get like stamina. Your stamina's eight, and then you'd kill a dragon and your stamina would be now nine, right? I think when I stopped drinking alcohol, my subconscious up-leveled me in courage and bravery. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my fucking job. So I quit a 19-year career. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. So when you stopped drinking, what was your next big thing that you did to keep that going? Well, um, I'm kind of known for just jumping in and and taking the risk. Um, I knew that for me, I was done doing hair. I didn't know quite how I was going to get out at that point. So I would say it took me about a year and a half to two years to decide to sell my business. And then we needed to move. So we jumped and moved. My husband got a new job. And I just kept plugging forward, knowing I was doing something I wasn't really quite sure what I was doing. I was just taking the risk and the leap. But had I been drinking, I would have been stuck and not been able to do that. I probably would have done different things, but not big, huge life changes when you, you know, have a family of, of um, seven. So I just have the, the confidence to do it now. So now I'm in college at 43, three, almost three years into being sober, and I'm getting straight A's, which is just hilarious because 
part of the my whole self thing is that I'm not good enough. I'm not your story. Enough. Your story. My story. Yeah. Yeah. It's this whole thing. This whole story is I'm not smart enough. My husband's got a couple master's degrees. He's very, very book smart. And I came from a GED. Um, I didn't graduate past the ninth grade. And so that is my last thing that I'm working on right now to get past all the old things I told myself. And so for me, it's continually getting, breaking those stories apart. And hopefully one day I don't have any more. Um, but yeah, that, I'm not, that, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I just did a, I just did a, I just did a video on that for the, um, strive sobriety system. Actually, I'll talk, I'll talk about that a, a little bit. I mean, what what Michelle's talking about there is really important. So just to just to for people listening, let me just get my bearings a little bit. If you think about it, life's a game. Okay. So the way that I look at quitting alcohol is to turn it more into a game. Why? Because if you don't, it's pretty fucking miserable to stop the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your life. Like whenever people you know, come to stride. They, they don't, they, there's something about alcohol. They don't it's like, a, it's like a bad boyfriend, right? This super sexy, bad boyfriend that, you know, you've got a dish, but the sex is like super hot. Right. So that's like what alcohol is like. So to give it up is pretty miserable and down. And like, you know, in stride, you, you can get, you know, sometimes in the forums, you get a bit a little down. And I, I know sometimes, you know, in the past when you've, you've left and had a little sabbatical, it's because the energy is, it could be more negative than positive. So I'm working on making stride a game right now, right? To gamify it, make it more interesting for people. And one of the things that is really, really important in a game is to get constant self, you know, real positive feedback. Right, positive feedback. And when you first came to me, you had this massive story that you was not smart enough. Yeah. Uh, um, do you suffer from dyslexia? Yes. Right. So you you would say to me, I don't like posting on your stupid site because I'm dyslexic, and then this is just stupid because it's just making me feel worse. Don't you know I'm on medication and trying to stop <laughs> drinking alcohol? And I'd be like, stop fucking moaning and get on the site and post something. Yeah. Nobody's going to give a shit if you spell it wrong. Man, I'd say to you, it's gra- use Grammarly. Like, what the fuck? I do. <laughs> I still do. Great. <laughs> but then you'd write this beautiful, empathic, sometimes romantic, amazing stuff. And I'd read it and think, what an earth, what, what lens is, is she looking at the world through? So how important has that feedback, like having positive feedback, like schools now where you're older. Because uh, when you're a kid, feedback is difficult in school. But when you're older, you can handle it. Yeah. How important has that been? It's been great because I, I still suffer from a lot of self-doubt and I don't trust my thought process sometimes. And I think, how could I at 43 go back and compete with these kids in college? You know, um, I can't write paper. Part papers. Part of my thing is grammar. My husband's an English teacher and he likes to correct me, which is probably part of my thing in my head. Right. So now I just say, okay, is it two or two or like, you know, all of those things. And so, um, but it's given me a lot of ability to now I feel like halfway through my court, I don't have to ask him anymore. And I can trust myself and know that I must be doing a good job if I'm getting straight A's. And I am writing papers, and I did a presentation, and I figured out how to do PowerPoint, and I've converted everything from Apple to Google Docs because I couldn't, you know, so I've done it all. I, I've really needed that. Mm-hmm. I, that is, and, and I, I don't go to therapy anymore. I went for 10 years, but the last thing he told me I needed to do was go back to college, get a degree, so that I can break all, because that's the last of it. So for me, I think this is going to help me more than um, just, you know, because I'm an avid reader and my husband, my husband tells me all the time how smart I am. But when I have a visual and something in my hand says, you have gotten an A all through this quarter on something that was so hard and I'm learning another language. Mm. I just didn't even think it was possible. So I, I needed that self-reassurance. I needed that positive feedback. And I think it's really, really important. That other language you're learning is Latin, right? Yeah. 
the kid, my, my nieces and nephews learn Latin. And I was like, why the fuck would anyone learn Latin? And now I know yeah. <laughs> it has something Universal. to do with gar- it has something yeah. to do with gardening and bot- botany and, and, <laughs> but, and, yeah. Yeah, and really funky. What was we going to call our group? Sempervirens. I still think the Semper but if anyone's listening, when you when you join the Strive Sobriety System, you're in a little group and you choose your own name. And uh, uh, the current guys call themselves the Strive Landers. I still think they should have called themselves the Semper Virons. Yeah, Semper Semper Virons was my pick. Um, yeah. Strive Landers is great, but but yeah, I, I like I like I like Semper Virons. So what what you were talking what you're talking about there a little bit is something that we cover in the stuck phase of the Strive Sobriety System, and it's perfectionism. And it might not sound like perfectionism because here's Michelle saying, "Well, no, I, I had dys- dyslexia. I don't want to." put it out there because I have dyslexia, which might seem like very different to perfectionism, but it's the same type of thing. It's a shield against being vulnerable, right? You're, you don't want, you're too worried about what other people are going to think about you. And I, I think even when you get your your certificate or whatever, you'll still have this constant, I'm not enough. Yeah, I am. I'm not enough. Yeah, I am. And, And that's why it's important to have people around you that you trust that you can then say to them, what do you think about this? And then yeah. if they turn around and say, oh, actually, you dropped a fucking clang in there, <laughs> but, you know, but you don't melt and disappear. You just say, oh, right, fuck, okay. Yeah. I've got to deal with it and, and, and get on and, and move past it. But uh, so that's where, you know, the structure comes, like when you do meet these mentors and you work with them and you start to trust them and, you know, places like Strive. So for people listening, like I've obviously helped you out, but who else in this industry has helped you out, whether that's a book, a podcast, or actual training courses, so people can, you know, they don't have to just come here. They can check other people out. So when I met you, I I think you're the one who pointed me in the direction of Annie Grace. Is that the, yeah, This Naked Mind? Yeah, and the book. Actually, it was Alan Carr first. Mm-hmm. So then I got his book, read that book, and which is all in line with, my thought process and my philosophy, Annie Grace, of course. Um, I did the AA thing. It wasn't for me. I did the smart recovery thing. It wasn't for me. I did moderation management, which was definitely not for me. Um, But then at the same time, after a couple of months with you, I started off with Holly's hip sobriety, Holly Whitaker's hip sobriety Mm -hmm. course, which was, I think it was six weeks so that was the softer end. That was Kundalini yoga. That was creating a toolbox. That was creating something that I had in my hand that I could open and go, these are all my things that mean so much to me. They're reminding me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then um, the home podcast with Laura McCowan, I went and did a in-person yoga session with her um, and we journaled and, and stuff like that. But once all that was over, I got what I needed from it and released it and, and strive is um, I'm back on strive after being absent for some time. And I, I needed to learn how to communicate in my own recovery before I was comfortable enough to be back communicating on, on a forum Mm. because the moderation management forum, another uh, forum I was on for alcohol, um, they left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I had to kind of figure out how to manipulate that for me um, to, to feel like I was contributing well. And I still struggle, as you know, because I want to be a support system. I don't, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or any of those types of things. But for me, I needed a lot of different avenues. And those were the ones that I used. And, and now Strive is where I'm at currently. So you want to be you want to be a support system. You don't want to hurt people's feelings, and the the hurting of people's feelings comes along where where you sense that you can see where people are not doing the work where they should do, and and they're continually going. They're stuck in that oscillation, and then it, it's it's it, the difficulty is like uh, continually providing empathy and support for people who are doing this the wrong things time and time and time again. Right. Mm. Yes, that's really hard for me because at one at one point do we say do we speak the truth and and like I needed I needed that at that time because I was one of those people mm. who just kept I don't want to just keep blowing sunshine up someone's ass you know I just yeah. I really want to say look no stop 
just just acknowledge it for what it is you know and but that hurts people's feelings because it's you know so it's hard well, it's- i think i think the color code going back to the color code testing you know because because you're a red and i'm a red so we we want to get a and b as quickly as possible so that's how we're structured. And so if somebody's oscillating in the stuck phase of strive sobriety and they just keep drinking and they're not moving out of that phase, and we've got six, for anyone listening, we've got six phases. We've got stuck, thought, research, initiative, vigilance, and enlightenment, right? Now, the stuck phase is the first phase. That's why people are really drinking and they can't get past like seven days. If they're in there and our mindset is like, we need to get A, B as quick as we, as we can, then it's like, oh, this, this, is, this group is going to be a problem for us. We, we, are pro- we are better served in the vigilance and the enlightenment stage where people are building rockets, they're going to Mars, they're, they're, they're reaching like epic meaning, they're going to the uh, college at 43 and, and all this kind of stuff and traveling around the world. We're better suited there, whereas our ambassadors who are like blues and whites are probably better served in the stuck area because the blues and whites who are really struggling they really need to take their time around this. They really need more self-love. And, and yeah, we're just all learning this, right? But, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that's fine. Like, I, I really upset a striver like two nights ago, you know, and I, I need to get on the phone and apologize. And, it, you know, I, I, I no longer fall apart when I'm doing this and think that I'm the worst person in the world. I'm just kind of like, ah, I fucked up last night big time. You know, and, and, and know that I'm going to fuck up again and again and again and again, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, something you talked about. We talked about these big changes. So you stop drinking alcohol, big change. Now all of a sudden you get confidence, you get bravery, you get uh, self-worth, you, you get this feeling of uh, empowerment. And it's like, I'm going to sell my business. Boom. I'm going to move house. Boom. Now that happens when you become a striver and you've got a support system around you to help help support you and help you do that because these decisions are tough but you'd never think about them if you weren't drinking however michelle when you were drinking you still smashed it right and i want to talk about that a little bit talk about sailboats explain to people what you were doing on a freaking sailboat and how how our early exchanges were all about you loving this sailboat but not being able to get off the sailboat and me saying, get off this fucking sailboat. <laughs> and you saying, I can't get off it. Explain to people what you were doing in, in that kind of time period. I had a, a client who was in her sixties who was racing sailboats. And I, I asked her one day, how do you do it? And she said, well, we have a meetup down at the water. You're more than welcome to come. And I'm like, I thought this was something you had to be born into. And she's like, Oh no. And I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So one day I show up and then I love it and I excel very quickly and I get on a team and I am gone almost every weekend. We're doing two-day races. Um, We live in the Pacific Northwest, so we're not really in the open ocean as, you know, if we were in California or something like that. Um, And it just kept progressing and excelling. And I, I was on this one particular team and a lot of really strong men and it's hard as a five foot woman to get a job on a boat and not be just male or rail meat is what we called it where you're just sitting on the side of the boat for eight hours 10 hours overnight whatever and so I worked really hard and get really strong to be able to do all the jobs that I could do and so with that, there's a lot of drinking. There's drinking all day long. And some boats are really strict about it. And some boats don't care. And you would think that there would be a safety thing there. And any good boat is going to make sure that the drinking is put away until, you know, it's calm. Because a lot of times in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have wind. And so we're sitting out there like ducks, not moving. And so, but this particular boat, when I was trying to quit drinking, they said to me, you're boring. You're way more fun when you've been drinking. And it made me feel awful. And I couldn't, that struggle when we were talking, it was me trying to get off that boat, but it was like a family. Like yeah. the things the the day that I got on to needy helper or strive back then was we were at a, the yacht club party the night before a big race and they always provide all this alcohol. I had four beers 
And because now that I know that I have an actual, my body does not process alcohol. Now I know why I would always get so sick. And those four beers blacked me out. And I ended up waking up in their house with puke everywhere. And I woke up and that's my skipper's house. Mm. And um, I get up. I, cause I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to do everything that I said I was going to do. I'm going to get on that boat. Ended up being the worst wind day ever. I, I was vomiting into the water and we spinnakers were popping right and left. I mean, we, we were, it was just a really hard race. And so getting away from the, my family where I felt like it was so important. Those relationships in my life were so important. When I really started to break those down, I started to realize they were all based around alcohol. So leaving and finding another team was hard. I did do it. I never quite got that family feeling again. And eventually, after about four and a half years, I gave sailing up. But part of it too was I moved an hour away from the water. I'm actually close to the water, but from any type of sailing. And I knew I needed to make some changes in my life in order to go back to college. I had to let my sport go. Mm-hmm. And I, for many years, needed that, though, because that was an escape away from my family, an escape away from my husband. And I could drink. And he hated it because he'd have to come get me all the time because mm-hmm. as soon as we get off the boat, it'd be a huge party. So I... After a while, I started to realize these relationships I've created, all these friends that I have really were based around alcohol. It was a really hard reality because I lost a lot of them. And I have maybe five I hang out with now, and that's really about it. But I don't, I don't need that anymore. And so it brought my husband and I closer together, so I'm not trying to get away from him all the time. <laughs> um, but so that, that was sailing for me in, in a nutshell. But Can, um, can you remember... Do you remember the first time you jumped on, you was on the new boat and then you raced in a race with your old boat? Yes, it was awful. The feeling was awful. And they, they were like, Hey, Michelle, we miss you, you know, and it's not the same because that boat was a really great boat Mm. and it was the winning boat. And I left the winning boat to go on a not winning boat. And so that was, that's, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but and I didn't have a job. That was the other thing. For a long time, I didn't have a job. On a I boat. remember you, you got really upset, didn't you? You started crying when you saw the other boat. And, and then, but it was, like, it was almost like that moment was like a real, I remember you know, when I worked together, that moment was a real synonymous moment. You know, it yeah. was like, you know, here are these, <laughs> these people getting fucking smashed and winning. Imagine what they could do if they weren't getting smashed. Um, and then you took this massively brave decision to leave that family and try to find a different family. Um, and I remember saying to you at the time, like you were really kind of low about it. And I was like, no, 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 you've just done, you've just done a really, really massively strong, courageous thing. And, you know, perspective is, is like, is like really poor, you know, really important. And in, and in that moment, I, I just remember thinking, no, oh, this, this girl's going to crack it. If you can make those big decisions, you know, you, it's, we have strivers and you, you kind of be like saying to them, well, are you still going to the pub? And you're drinking, yeah, but it's nothing to do with the pub. It's, it's nothing to do with the pub, you know. And you're still with that guy, or you're still with that girl, and, and and you know. And then and then over time, they get it, and then they 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 have that heartache and the pain and suffering of divorcing from those environments or from those people. Yeah. And they have the grief, and this is why we have Strive Coach Lisa. You know, she's a thanatologist. She deals with grief. It's really important when you you know you're dealing with this alcohol issue. And then afterwards, they're like, "Wow, you know, I really yeah. miss them, but." I fill my life up with different relationships. Yes, exactly. You know, that energy is is completely different. And now you you know you're you're our first one k day sober uh, member. You're the you're, you're actually the inspiration to the brand change. Um, where where do you land on counting your days? Because I know you know since we became one thousand days sober, we talked about it on uh, you know about going on this journey and trying to help people reach 1000 days. And we've actually had to get Vinny, our strive coach to do like a whole session on shame because people are so feeling so much shame around counting days. I mean, yeah. how did it, how did it work out for you? Well, I think that's part of it. I think that's a good, if they're feeling shame, I think that's great. That's a good start because it's letting them know it's holding them accountable. It really is because 
like, I think it was Roy or was it Roy or any, or Anna, anyone, anyway, someone was talking about how they didn't, they knew how far, or it was Kim, it was Kim, how far she had gone and didn't want to start over on day one. Mm. So for me, that's what it was. I had to have the confidence in myself. I had to feel like I had to hold myself accountable because if we don't hold ourselves accountable, no one else is going to do it, you know? And so for me, it was something I could look at and strive to get to. And that was so important for me. Now I don't count so much. I'll glance at it. For me, it was getting to that 1,000 days. From day one, I wanted to make that 1,000 days because that one blog post from Laura McCowan about her 1,000 days and then Holly talking about her 1,000 days. And I remember being a new person on Needy Helper or Strive and looking at those people who were making it. And I thought, that's never going to be me. That's never going to be me. I, I just, there, there's no way. They don't get how hard it is. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And so now I want to remind people when I speak about that on Strive now, like I was you at one point. You can make it. You don't have to think, oh, she doesn't get it. It must have been so easy for her, you know, whatever the excuses. But, but for me, it's, it takes out the excuses it's a solid thing that you can look at that increases day by day. And the 1,000 days was it. It would have meant I arrived. And I definitely feel like I have. I don't question my sobriety. I don't worry about it. I will never say I'm 100% because we can flip like that. But I'm constantly working towards it. And I think by being on Strive, it's helping to keep me going where I need to go and reminding me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so for me, the counter is very important. But I'm about to hit three years, March 29th. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll just kind of glance at it here and there. It won't be as big of a deal as it was. Uh, well, we, we're going to start making it a big deal for people on Strive, you know. Like we're going we're gonna to have little little parties wherever we can. So I think, I think Sue Sue's approaching 200 days in South Wales. So... Um, Oh man, the coronavirus is going to fucked everything up because I can't go back. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go back to the UK now. But I was going to go back to the UK and we was going to organise a little party for Sue. We could do some online parties as well. And um, so yeah, we're going to do all that kind of stuff. I think it's really cool. Uh, before I let you go, what advice would you give to people on reaching 1,000 days sober? What would uh, and I'm putting you on the spot, but some just some of the key things for you. I think if you are trying to quit drinking and you feel resistance, that resistance is what's going to keep you going. So so instead of running from the resistance, run into the resistance, figure out why you have resistance and keep progressing and reach out. And if you fail, just keep getting back up and and keep reaching out and communicating to people. I think once the guilt shame cycle picks up, people tend to hide and I think that's the worst thing you can do. And, and if someone says something to you who is at my level, your level or whatever, and it might not be what you want to hear, ask yourself, what is it about th- what they said that's bothering me? And maybe reach out and have a private conversation. Don't leave Strive or don't stop, you know, trying to fight the fight. Just keep going. Um, and, and if you need a lot of different avenues, Take whatever you need. Just it's just keep moving forward. Mm. Oh, Michelle, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. You're a friend. You're a, a real leader and role model on Strive as well. You're our first 1K club member. Thanks for being on the Alcoholics Podcast. These are very strange and very testing times that we're in at the moment. So what is it that 1,000 Days Sober can do for you right now? Well, there are a number of things that we could do, okay? First and foremost, keep listening to the Alcondition Podcast. We'll be providing you episodes on a weekly basis. But you can also get more information, more knowledge, and more education on alcoholism as an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system over our YouTube account, okay? That's 1,000 Days Sober at YouTube. You can also get a lot of content over on our Instagram page, 1000 Days Sober Instagram, okay? 
If you want to join Stride and you want to take part in the 1000 Days Sober Experience, you want to be somebody who doesn't drink for 1000 days, then email me at thetruthaboutalcohol at gmail.com because currently right now, because of these testing times, we're giving you a month free. So you can experience our training programs, you can experience our community, you can experience our vibe, and you can see if it really gels with you, okay? And you won't have to pay a single thing for a whole month. If after that free month, you still wanna work with us and finances is still an issue, which it is for so many people right now uh, due to COVID-19, then you and I will have a conversation and we will find a resolution, a win-win uh, for both of us so we can move forward and really help you to become 1,000 days sober. We will not let money be the barrier to you gaining success. So right now, what you should be doing is emailing me at thetruthaboutalcohol at gmail.com or going to the website, www.1000daysober.com, sign up to the email list, and then you'll be able to email me directly or have a conversation with me to get you signed up or alternatively send me a whatsapp message plus four four seven seven nine five four four one three eight three that's plus four four seven seven nine five four four one three eight three send me a message on whatsapp and we will get you signed up it is really important now more than ever that you are sober you're looking after your mind and you're looking after your body uh, your family need you your friends need you you need you okay so drink alone you don't have to stop alone. Come and join 1000 Days Sober today. Thanks for listening.